Hey folks, welcome back to the Field and Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and thanks so much for joining me here today. I have a really hot topic today. Seed starting is probably one of the most requested and popular topics that I write about, talk about, video about, um, and I really believe that we all just really love seed starting and we're called to it, and that's why we just really need to talk about this year-round seed starting. That's kind of, that's what I named this episode because this is the time of year, we're in March, this is the time of year I will soon start getting my inbox just stacked up with people asking, is it too late? Is it too late? Is it too late? And that will go on for like the next four months because I talk about seed starting all the time. And y'all, that is because for many of us, a lot of us, when you embrace um, seasonal gardening and farming, there's almost a seed to be started all the time, anytime. And there are some folks that have really deep um, and long winters that certainly have some real downtime. But for me here in the Mid-Atlantic, I'm in zone 8A slash 7B. I can really start seeds 12 months out of the year. So there really is no two. There's probably, that's a good question to ask about a specific seed. But most often, I find that people believe that if they didn't start their seeds way too early, really, that they've actually missed the opportunity. And this whole episode is dedicated to the fact that I can almost promise you it's not too late. Okay? So just a little bit um, before we jump into this whole seed starting and what we're talking about here, I want to welcome you, and if you're enjoying my podcast, I would love for you to share it with your friends, write a review, subscribe. That really helps me a lot. I am a commercial urban flower farmer located in southeastern Virginia. I've been farming since 1998, and I am... just kind of love my job and I love sharing and empowering people um, to also follow along in these footsteps. And if you're an avid gardener or a home gardener and you just want to learn more gardening skills, we will, I welcome you here too. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I'm also the owner of the gardenersworkshop.com where you can just find a ton of my resources videos, blogs, articles, the same tools, seeds, and supplies that you hear me mention, you can find over there on our website, as well as our online courses for flower farmers and for home gardeners. And so I really encourage you to wander over there and have a little look around. So the one thing that you need to know if you're interested in growing cut flowers, whether it's in your backyard, as a home gardener, or as a commercial grower, is you are going to have to start your own seeds if you want to grow cut flowers because there are specific varieties that are best for cut flowers. 
and you're not going to find them available down at your local nursery um, where they're selling bedding plants. Because you have to understand one of the unique qualities of cut flower varieties is that they're tall. And most landscape um, people shopping for their landscape are not looking for tall flowers. They're looking for shorter stuff to stay short in their landscape to do the job of looking good um, out in the garden. We are growing cut flowers to be cut. They have to be, have long enough stems um, as well as some other qualities that make them a really good cut flower. So if you're looking to grow cut flowers, y'all, you're just going to have to tough it up and join the seed starters. And I'm here to tell you, it is so much easier than you think when you just learn a little bit and follow a couple of just general ground rules, I guess I could call them. So first I want to share that there are several different methods of seed starting. And um, we can, we're going to talk about just a couple of them that I have experience in. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I have my own personal opinions um, and what I recommend, but there are several out there. And what you have to find is which of those methods fits you and your situation and works best for you, right? So I think that any experienced seed starter or grower or farmer would agree that most often not every method is the right method for every single seed. And I'm prefacing that with the fact to say that I use a couple of different methods of seed starting. I began my career, you know, I give my success credit um, to soil blocking because, um, you know, my short story is, is that I was like the most unlikely person to become a flower farmer. I was barely a gardener living in the middle of the city and knew nothing when I stumbled upon soil blocking. And because of its space savviness, it encouraged me to go on to embrace becoming a flower farmer, right? So that way, um, it just really opened a door for me. And in the beginning, I did only practice soil blocking using the three-quarter inch small blocker as well as the two-inch, we call it the large blocker or refer to it as the large blocker. And um, in the beginning, because, you know, I was a new grower and wasn't doing nearly the volume that we ended up doing now, I um, did soil blocking for every method, for every seed that I actually started. And so as my business grew and I really ramped up my sunflower production, and sunflowers are a pretty big seed in general, comparing them to other flower seeds. It's a pretty big guy. And as I learned that we needed to be planting literally in the beginning hundreds, and then it evolved into thousands of sunflowers each week, week after week for like 26 weeks of the season, I soon figured out that I could not soil block my sunflowers. It was just too labor intensive. And they in fact would really do just fine growing in a plug tray if 
we got them planted in a very timely manner. So I wanted to preface that while I do soil block 95% of the time, I do use other methods because y'all, you know what my basic I guess you could say that my method of madness in everything flower farming is I do what works. I do what fits the situation, which is the easiest, the most economical, with the best end result. And so I'm not what some people would call a purist of anything. I will use whatever method we actually need to make to get the job done. So when I began in 1997, um, you know, that's when I was purely just a soil blocker. And that went on for a couple of three years. And then when I learned about growing succession planting of sunflowers in high volume to really beef up my offering, I then um, learned about doing it in um, plug trays. So first I want to talk about the soil blocking part of that. So the reason I was so drawn to soil blocking in the beginning, and for anyone that doesn't know what soil blocking is, it is a method of seed starting. It's the way the Dutch and English have done it for decades. And literally, it's a little tool that is actually made in England. Um, then we import them, made by the Ladbrook Company, um, that makes little squares of soil when you use a, a mix that really binds together um, and the blocks never go into containers so you avoid using all those plastics so it's super environmentally friendly but in addition to that it is super space savvy when you use the small block as I do and it just really grows these seedlings that hit the ground running. They suffer no transplant shock. We can plant them younger because they can be handled. Um, the blocks can be handled much earlier in the growing phase than a plug tray can. So when I started out, that is basically all that I was doing was soil blocking. And so as I was ramping up my production, I really had got a lot of experience doing soil blocking. Um, and because I am this little urban farmer with no green or hoop houses, my space was really limited. And that's what led me to really push the envelope on what could be started in the smaller block, the three-quarter inch. Um, because, frankly, the two-inch square block just took up too much of my growing space. I just didn't have, like, a big greenhouse to have endless, you know, square footage or real estate to give them. Um, so that really sent me down this road of pursuing what could be started in the three-quarter inch blocks. And that's what led me to perfect what we kind of call the tabletop method of using the three-quarter inch block um, and being able to start about 95% of the seeds that we start. I mean, zinnias and marigolds and tomatoes and peppers. And um, anyway, we're not going to go deep on the actual technique of soil blocking because you can go to my website and under the Learning Center, there's actually an all things soil blocking um, page that kind of groups all of my resources. And there's actually an online course for like 20 bucks of me teaching you how to do that. So the space savviness of soil blocking is what really helped me to build my soil blocking experiences. But then as I ramped up um, and learned that I needed to grow a lot more sunflowers, 
that's when I added those plug trays in. So my business has really evolved. And I just want to say to anybody that's venturing into business or may be already is in business, you got to be flexible. You have to do what works best for you with the less Late, least amount of labor and input costs. Um, and so that's what I'm sharing with you. So this whole year-round seed starting, before I start this, I have to tell y'all where I'm sitting. So I'm at the Fulfillment Center today, and I'm actually sitting in our seed room. This is where all of our bulk seed is actually stored. It's like our seed vault, right? And it's just shelves and shelves and shelves of seed. And when you just kind of see all the different options of seeds there are to start, it, you start to understand that there are so many seeds, y'all. It is just when you become a seed starter, the window and door of opportunity are open to you like you have never imagined before. Instead of just being um, what's available to you down at the local garden center, you now have endless possibilities. And that can be a little bit of a problem <laughs> for some of us. But the rest of the time, if you kind of learn to control yourself, it just opens the door of opportunity. So that is what I really want to share with you. So I'm just sitting in here, just taking it all in. So year-round seed starting, what that means is that there are really seeds that can pretty much fit to your time of the year for seed starting, right? And I'm also sipping a cup of hot tea because it's kind of still chilly outside and it's kind of warm and cozy in here with all these seeds and me and my cup of tea and y'all. Um, it's pretty awesome actually. So what I want to talk about is first off, we're talking about annuals. Annuals are almost all of what I grow. I get the biggest bang for my buck. If you have limited gardening or farming space, annuals are your friends, y'all. You get to Take them in and out, change your mind, add things new. You don't fill up your space with permanent plantings and then like have nowhere else to plant. So annuals are what we're talking about. And what you need to really understand is that there are, in my methods, in my, when you hear me talking, I refer to two different types of annuals. There are cool season, hardy annuals and there's warm season tender annuals. They both have the basic same life cycle, meaning they start from seed and bloom within a year normally, but they have very different planting times. And when you embrace both groups of those annuals and then figure out when the window of planting those are in your on your farm or in your garden, you're, that's the ticket, y'all. One of the reasons that I wanted to really talk about this is I get really a lot of questions about, especially when I talk about a specific flower. Somebody will say, when are you planting that? Well, the question should really be, if you don't already know, is that a cool season or a warm season annual? And then the next 
bit of information I would say is, and then you should know when warm season tender annuals or cool season hardy annuals should be planted in your garden. And that kind of automatically allows you to say, oh, if that's a warm season, I know exactly when that should be started or when I should start that and enjoy it in my garden. Um, so I'm kind of trying to encourage you to push back and think a little before the pretty flower. <laughs> and I know that's hard, but it's really the key to you. I mean, it's like for me, when I learn or I see a flower that I think, oh, what is that? I've never grown that before. I wonder if, and what I'm wondering, is it a cool or a warm? And then figuring out, is it an annual? And it's like, okay, I wonder if I can fall plant that or very early spring plant it if it's a cool season. So there's this natural process that'll go along with your, with your thought process once you understand it's one or the other if it's an annual, and then you know when you plant those for your farm and garden. Um, because I'm telling you, the sky is the blooming limit of what options you have once you start embracing both of these. And this is what I say to folks. It's like, this is how you become a seasonal field grower. And, you know, that's what I am. I don't have any structure. So everything I grow is outside in the field. And what I've learned is that instead of trying to figure out ways to, you know, make do without structures, I'm embracing what grows naturally and seasonally in my area and making the most out of it. Because that is the way that is, especially if you're a flower farmer and you're trying to like improve your bottom line. When you grow seasonally, you have, it requires less inputs, you know, you giving it a little help um, to do the best job it can in its natural time is far less costly and labor intensive than trying to make something grow during a time that it's not really supposed to be growing in your garden, right? Um, and for me here in zone 7B8A, Sorry, y'all, I'm having trouble resisting my warm cup of tea. Um, so I say that 7B, 8A, because I used to be 7B, and now it's 8A. Um, and it behaves more like 8A, 8A is what I should say. And that's the winter hardiness zone for anyone that's not familiar. And you can just enter into a search engine, USDA winter hardiness map, and you can find that information. So... Once you embrace these guys, um, you know, the seasons that these annuals go along with, you have warm season, let's talk about warm season tender annuals first, because that's kind of where I'm moving into. We just this week, it's the third week in March, and we just started our first warm season tender annuals. And that's stuff like Azuratum, a ton of celosias, just a ton. Our basils, um, hairy balls, gumpocarpus, physocarpus, um, just all of those warm season, tender annuals, those hot crops that are really the backbone of our cutting farm. Um, and so they really are at their best when they hit the ground running with high temperatures 
and as the days are getting longer. And what, and again, because I'll get this question, it depends on your area. So because I live in a region that has a long, my warm season growing period is longer than my cool season. So that means that I can succession plant warm season tender annuals. And in fact, we now do it about three or four times. When I was in high production, we used to succession plant even more frequently than that. And succession planting means planting the same type of plants more than one time. For instance, if you just, let's just say you have a 25 foot square garden. Instead of you running out there at the first crack of spring and planting the entire garden full, you would say, okay, I'm going to plant my first succession. I would break up that 25 um, square foot garden or 25 square garden into three or four parcels and say, okay, the first planting will be this quarter of the parcel of the whole garden. Then in about another month, I'd plant another quarter and in another month, another quarter. And my book, Vegetables Love Flowers, which is really about a three season cutting garden, really takes you by the hand and walks you through that process. Um, it's It really helps you understand succession planting. It even has diagrams in the back that you can follow along. It does not matter if you have a small garden, a medium-sized garden, a small farm, or a giant farm. You just apply succession planting on your scale. Not only does that spread out the harvest, it spreads out the work, the, you know, the whole chore thing. Um, succession planting is the secret to farming success and to home gardening, vegetable gardening. Instead of everything coming on at once, it helps you to spread it out. And once you just follow a few little rules, you can make the most of that. And so since my season is the longest for warm season, we plant so many different warm season plantings. And that allows me to do a lot of stuff. If I come across a seed that I've just learned about or I forgot about early in the season, I still have a place to include it in a later succession. As the season moves on for us as flower farmers, we will start sometimes changing up the colors. Like for instance, those later warm season plantings, you know, I might start adding some fallish type colors into the mix. Like pink falls off my radar and I start adding in more red or wine and more greens and more ivories. Those natural colors that we're yearning for in fall, right? So that is the basic concept of succession planting. Now, let's talk about cool season hardy annuals. Now, if you live in, like if you're here in the United States and you live in New England, which is the coldest part of, you know, of our country, you may be able to, in fact, succession plant cool season hardy annuals, which I can't really do down here in the South. We have a couple of really specific times to plant them to make the most. But if you have summers that are not hot and humid, you may be able to succession, I can't even speak, y'all, succession plant cool season hardy annuals. So I hope you're kind of realizing 
you have to kind of figure out where you garden or farm and which of these seasons is your real sweet spot and which so most of us have a really big season our our longest season and then the opposite season is the one that we have to kind of figure out the best time to get the most won't be a really long time but we can still get some and that's kind of what cool season is to me um so cool season hardy annuals if you're not familiar with my book cool flowers um, it's all about how to grow and apply this concept to your garden no matter where you live and um, you can find both of my books at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'd love to sign a copy for you, but also they're available in booksellers all over the world. Um, and the Cool Flower book really gives you more in-depth on this cool weather growing concept. The Vegetables Love Flowers does include about warm season and cool season, but it doesn't really take you down the rabbit hole of learning um, the ins and outs of the cool flower growing. So for me, being in 7B, 8A, there are a lot of the cool season hardy annuals that are actually winter hardy in my area. That means that I can fall plant them as baby plants. And then they go through winter frozen as a popsicle, but they're busy getting established and growing roots, which means at the crack of spring, which for me is typically late March, early April, sometimes later in April, it just depends on the year, they are set and ready to take off versus what most of us did before we learned about this was we were planting these plants in very early spring or not very or just in spring and not understanding why they would kind of fizzle out and fall victim to disease and pests. Um, before they got a chance to bloom. And that's because they're cool season hardy annuals, y'all. And by us not having really long springs and we kind of march right into hot summers, and then on top of that, we have these unestablished plants, it's just kind of sets them up to fail. But when we plant them at the awkward time of either, there's two windows of opportunities for many of us. One of them is fall planting, and the other is what I call very early spring. And that's really at still while we're in still in winter, but before it starts to warm up. And if you want to learn more about those concepts, I mean, there are so many resources over on my website. You can go to my blog podcast page under the Learning Center. And I did a series called the Cool Season Flower Chronicles that really gathers up a lot of these um, resources to help you understand it has the book link the book study link and a lot of other things but when you embrace cool season hardy annuals and warm season tender annuals there's almost something to be growing starting tending dreaming wondering about 12 months out of the year y'all 12 months out of the year and then maybe for you folks that are cooler Maybe it isn't 10 months. Maybe it's, I'm sorry, maybe it's not 12 months, it's 10 months. But guess what? You, your 10 months is going to be so much fuller now, you're going to need two months of rest. 
That's why I take the month of December off. Um, I could be seed starting and doing things in December, but frankly, I take the month off for the holidays um, and to just kind of take a break. So when you fully embrace the 12 months of seasonal seed starting and gardening and farming and do it through annuals, you just won't believe the door that's open to you. Um, so I hope this kind of helps you to embrace this whole 12 months of gardening and farming and um, head on over to the gardenersworkshop.com and just fall in to the resources and anything you hear me mention and talk about, you can find all the seeds, tools and supplies that I use over on my online garden shop. Um, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and Friends, I um, hope this helps you. It helps me in my mind to even review this stuff. It reminds me of things I may have forgotten about. And I'm just sitting here now looking at the hundreds of thousands of seeds that are in this room with me. And I'm telling y'all, it makes me kind of giddy. So, till we meet again, friends. Ciao.